Hello, and thank you for listening to episode 15 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave, and in this episode I'm going to be joined by a writer and broadcaster who's got an eclectic body of work, but in this show we're going to be concentrating on 1960s and 1970s British sex films. So please sit back, relax, get comfortable, and enjoy the 60 minutes that I spend chatting with Simon Sheridan. Right, Simon, first of all, obviously, I have to thank you for joining me um, in this episode. It's, uh, again, it's another one I've been really looking forward to, so thank you for giving me your time tonight. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm quite excited to, to hear what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we're, well, we're, we're going to cover 1960s and 70s uh, British sex comedies, I think, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, which is, which is my niche in life. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of people write about comedy or about horror films or James Bond or something, but I think I found my niche in life, and that that seems to be writing about 1960s, 1970s British sex films. Um, <laughs> so it's it's good to be an expert in something, I guess, and that's and that's what I know about. <laughs> well, if you're going to be an expert in anything, I think that's a good one to be an expert in. At the very well, well it's, it's quite interesting. It's it's interesting, you know, and I, and I and I know a lot about it, but I'm not sure if it's of any particular um, use to anybody. <laughs> well, how did before we get on to how you discovered them? Could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background then? Your, you know, your early life growing up, what you did, and then how you eventually came to be interested in this uh, genre of film. Well, yeah, I mean, th- th- this isn't a story. I don't, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly before, and I can think of. But my introduction to British sex films happened at a very, very early age. I, I was, I was born in the nineteen seventies, and. Um, I remember initially I was raised in Gloucestershire, though I've spent most of my life living in Bristol, but uh, my adult life, certainly. But I I was raised in Gloucestershire and um, there was a cinema in the centre of Gloucester. It was the ABC cinema. And I remember as a small boy walking past the the frontage of the cinema. And, And back then, of course, as you all remember, cinema posters were fantastic. Oh, yeah. And they were generally hand-painted. Um, nowadays, cinema posters are all, uh, all done with computers and photography. But back in the 60s and 70s, they were actually painted. And I remember walking past the ABC cinema in Gloucester, in King Square. I mean, it's now a Weatherspoons pub. It hasn't been a cinema for a very long time. And um, I walked past the cinema, and there was a poster for a film called Confessions from the David Galaxy Affair, which is a terrible title uh, coincidentally for a terrible film but it was a British sex film it was X-rated and before the uh, the, the, the early 1980s changes for the, the BBFC later became an 18 certificate sex films were X certificate which had a certain sort of romance about it anyway didn't it really you would go and see an X certificate film oh yeah so I walked I, I walked past the cinema uh, and saw this poster this most garish poster and it's got uh, a couple of sort of semi-naked women on it, and Alan Lake, who was Diana Dawes's husband, I didn't know who he was, but in the middle, flanked by the these semi-naked women. And of course, when you're a small child, I mean, that's, you know, I knew what a rude image was, and um, my grandparents read the Daily Mirror, and at the time, the Daily Mirror did have pay-tree girls in it, a bit like the sun so I, I knew about naked women <laughs> even as a tiny little boy and I knew this poster was for a film that was x-rated it was rude but the interesting thing is Diana Dawes's name was on the poster as was Bernie Winters 
And, so, and some of your listeners will remember Diana George was, was a big movie star in the 50s and 60s and, and latterly in, in the 70s. And Bernie Winters was a comedian. And, uh, but I knew these people from Celebrity Squares. Do you, do you remember Celebrity Squares? I certainly do, yeah. It was a game show that was on on Saturday night and it was uh, presented by um, Bob Monkhouse, who's one of my, my comedy heroes. And there were, I think they brought it back recently, haven't they, with Warwick Davis introducing it, actually. And so there's, there's, there's nine celebrities sitting in a grid. And back in the 70s, you got some really interesting names on Celebrity Squares. I remember on one occasion, Vincent Price was on it. <laughs> Vincent, he was on Celebrity Squares. But, but invariably, you get people like um, uh, Willie Rushton on it and Arthur Mullard, people like that. And Diana Dawes was often on it, as was Bernie Winters. So as a child, walking past this poster, I, I'll get to the end of my story in a minute, walking past this poster and knowing it was for a sex film and it had semi-clad naked women on the poster, but it, but Diana Dawes and Bernie Winters were people that I watched on a um, Saturday tea time. So I couldn't really understand why people I watched as a child were also appearing in something that was really rude. So my first introduction to a british sex film was through bernie winters and diana Dawes and that poster outside the abc cinema in gloucester <laughs> that's brilliant because i remember didn't they just briefly going off on a tangent about celebrity squares wasn't usually the comedian that was in the center one i think they no- yeah, that was, was the spot they normally put him or her that's absolutely right and the center square tended to be the regular and that's where willie rushton often s- sat yeah and then the other eight squares it would be different celebrities but Diana George was a regular on that I mean for Vincent I mean Vincent Price would do anything I think in the 1970s um <laughs> certainly the late 70s um, but to see him on there was quite unusual I thought um even as a child because I I knew that he made horror films uh but yeah so th- th- that's that's the first inclination I got that there was a um another sort of cinema other than the Disney films that I used to go and see when I was a child. And that was it back in the day, I remember too, walking past, because this was where I used to live as well, the cinema was just one screen, and you'd walk past, and as well as the fantastic posters that they'd have, they'd have like the lobby cards and the stills, they'd have like a set of like four or six stills from the film as well, and you'd yeah, walk yeah. past. Uh, and, and, and some of those some of those stills were quite, you know, quite racy. I mean, they you were, know, you had, yeah. You had nudity in those. I mean, it would never be allowed nowadays, but... I've got quite a collection, as you would imagine, of sex film memorabilia from the 60s and 70s. And, and you'd be surprised at how explicit some of those pictures are that, that were shown in the lobbies. It was a different time completely back then, wasn't it? I know it's it's hard to explain to some people, but it really was such a different time back then. It was. So, yeah, it totally was. I, I mean, I didn't see a British sex film until I was much older, by, by which time they'd ended. Uh, they, they weren't being made anymore, but... Uh, it's interesting. I, as a, as a small child, I did see a pornographic magazine, which was owned by my brother. I've got an older brother, and in that pornograph, I was I was a very small boy. But you know, small boys are curious, aren't they? Oh, and they yeah. often look, they often look in their siblings' bedrooms and, and uncover things that they shouldn't be looking at. And I remember uh, being in my brother's. Uh, my brother won't be listening to this, so I can say say this. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking through my brother's stuff and I found a porn magazine and it was a copy of a magazine called White House. And White House was a a magazine, quite an explicit pornographic magazine named after Mary White House, the the cleanup TV campaigner. 
so there was that nice bit of irony there i didn't realize at the time <laughs> but um i looked through this copy of, of white house magazine and there were photographs of a of a woman called mary millington and mary millington was the same woman i'd seen on that cinema poster outside the abc in gloucester and um and so th those two things happened to me at, when I was a child, and I think they just stuck with me, particularly Mary Millington, has stuck with me th throughout my life, and, and that's how I ended up writing, I think, about, about British sex films. That's great, because I, my memory of Mary Millington, I remember her being, her being big in the 70s and her name being everywhere, but I don't know a lot about her. I was thinking about this today before I, was, I thought, right, I'm going to have a chat with you. I don't really know a lot about the woman herself, apart from being able to name some of the films that she, she was in and knowing her name was everywhere back in the day, you know, when I was growing up in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, c can you remember seeing cinema posters with her name on? And oh, like yeah. That? Oh, I certainly can, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mary Millington was, um, without, you know, I'm not exaggerating here, she, she was the, the biggest female British uh, box office star of the 1970s. I mean, even though she's been um, much maligned in her life because she, she she was a porn star, she did make mainstream sex comedy films. And they were hugely successful. I mean, massively, massively successful for her and for uh, David Sullivan, who was the producer of the films. So she was a very bankable box office star. I, I sometimes say she, she was like the equivalent of Roger Moore. You know, Roger Moore would have would be appearing in, in huge films, big box office, uh, big budget films. But, but Mary Millington was, was like the female equivalent. I mean, her films were very low budget, but they were making an equivalent amount of money in, in proportion to, to, to their small bu small budget. So she, she was a, a big, big star in the 1970s. She, I, can, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about her if, if, if you'd like to know. She um, Oh, yeah, I'd love to. She uh, was born in 19, uh, 1945, um, she was an illegitimate child, but she, she was raised in Dorking, which is a, a rather smart town in Surrey. And um, she trained to be a veterinary nurse. Uh, but her career went in a, a completely different direction because her mother, very sadly, was dying of cancer. And, and in the 19, late 60s and 1970s, cancer treatment, certainly for breast cancer, was not as it is now, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And Mary needed to make money in order to pay for her mother's cancer treatment and she was a very pretty girl she was tiny she's only four foot eleven tall but she's blonde had a beautiful body um she was married her and her husband were swingers so she was all already um quite sexually liberated she didn't have many inhibitions and um it was suggested to her that perhaps she become a model and of course being four foot eleven you're too too short to be doing fashion modeling so she went into glamour modeling so she was doing uh, nude modeling in london and from there on she ended up appearing in in hardcore pornographic films and and made an awful lot of money doing it uh, in order to pay for her mother's cancer treatment um and her mother lived with her and, and, all, and all all through her career uh, as far as i'm aware from speaking to people who knew her her mother didn't know that she was a she was Britain's number one porn star, wow. even though she she was bringing in all this money. So, um, she she appeared in a film in in 1970 called Miss Borlock, which is a a German film. Borlock means borehole. It's not the most appetising of titles, <laughs> but um, 
the film was called Miss Borehole, and um, it won the Golden Phallus Award <laughs> at the at the Wet Dream Film Festival <laughs> in Amsterdam in 1970. Which is, I mean, there there are American um, pornographic films. Yeah. Um, awards you know you know in america and there is in france and, and around europe but this was probably the first um and it was every year in amsterdam and and miss borlock won the golden phallus it won won the best film at that competition in in november 1970 and so and the film was released on eight millimeter film it, it was a long time before vhs tapes and and dvds and it sold three hundred thousand copies i mean you you just could never imagine a DVD or a Blu-ray selling that many copies nowadays, but it sold 300,000 uh, copies on 8mm film and, and uh, was one of the biggest selling, you know, hardcore porn films of all time. Wow, and how much would these sell for in the, in the day? Have you got any idea of that? I'm, I'm just yeah, to... I mean, yeah, they, 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 were, they were selling for about, you know, between 15 and, and 20 pounds, which back then was an awful lot of money. And yeah. Of course, and, and of course, you couldn't... You, you had to show the film, so you had to have a projector at home, a home projector. You also used to have a, a pr projection screen, which you'd pull down over one wall, or you draw the curtains and do it up against curtains, and the, so to speak. And you would um, you project the film and you'd watch the film. So um, they were purely for, for masturbation. They, they they weren't. There was no plots particularly to these films. They were very basic, but they but they were very well filmed. Uh, beautifully made. Um, a lot of them w were made by the, the Color Climax Corporation in Denmark. Uh, but uh, Miss Borlock w was made for a German company. Um, and it did incredibly well. So she became a, a very bankable 8mm porn star. And she, she made about half a dozen of these films afterwards, um, subsequently in, in Holland, in Germany, and in the UK. I see. I remember as well. The I think the main one that listeners may be the most familiar with is "Come Play with Me," and I remember that poster being up as well everywhere. That's one of like, the most famous posters too. Yeah. Well, "Come Play with Me" came a little bit later. Yeah. She, she was making these hardcore eight millimeter films, which in this country were were strictly illegal to to buy and to distribute um, because hardcore pornography, unbelievably, has only been legal. Uh, in this country for about 15 years or so. Um, virtually every other country in Europe has had uh, hardcore pornography legal since the late 60s. Scandinavia, France, Germany, um, Spain a little bit later. I think Spain was 1975. But throughout the 70s, porn was, hardcore porn was illegal in this country. So you had to buy these things under the counter. And I'm sure you've heard that expression. You'd go to a sex shop and you would ask for something under the counter. It was the um, illegal material, which you, which you couldn't buy uh, off the shelf. So things like Miss Borlock and Mary's other 8mm films were available in this country, but you had to buy them under the counter. So from 8mm films, she graduated to, to appearing in more mainstream uh, cinema films, the sort of films that would have played at the Odeon or the ABC uh, or the Gaumont cinemas. So um, that's what Come Play With Me was. Come Play With Me was a was a more of a, a mainstream mm. British porn film. I seem to recall as well, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but my memory of it is they were usually in double bills as well. You know, I remember like the quad posters were always like Come Play With Me and another one. Yeah, well, Come Play With Me was originally... I'll tell you something about the release of it, because it's quite interesting, but um, 
it was it was a came out on its own initially but you're right a lot of these films were reissued as double bills triple bills or even quadruple bills i mean by about 1980 81 82 you you could pay £1.80 to go to an odeon and you could see four british sex films so i mean so a lot of them were cut down but you could still be in a, in a, in, a, in a in a cinema for about four or five hours <laughs> you know watching one british sex film after another um, so you're absolutely right. So, yeah, a lot of these films were in double bills. But as were horror films, as were kung fu films back in the 1970s. I mean, the, the 60s and the 70s in the UK was the era of exploitation films. And um, people were increasingly turning their backs on the cinema uh, in order to watch television. I mean, TV was king. People had coloured te- televisions and they were very reluctant to go to the cinema. So... Pretty much the only things that would lure people going to lure people to go back to the cinema was to see the sort of material which they couldn't see on BBC One and ITV, and that, generally speaking, was horror films, um, porn, and kung fu films, and, and that's why those those three genres of films were so massively popular in the 70s because you couldn't see that sort of stuff on the TV. So that that was the only only reason people went to the cinema to to see that kind of material. I mean, the cinema was in, in, in huge decline, in, in, you know, in the post-war years. I mean, I, I, I did some research into, into statistics with regard to cinema screens, and, and, it, and it's shocking. I think in, in about 1955, there were about four and a half, no, about, yeah, about five and a half thousand cinema screens in Britain, five and a half thousand cinema screens. But by 1975, there was one and a half thousand cinema screens so so you know cinema screens had had decreased by about two-thirds because people just weren't going um so we have people like um mary millington to thank for um healthy box office returns in the 1970s because without her and people like christopher lee and and peter cushing who were making horror films and bruce lee who was making kung fu films and in fact bruce lee was still making kung fu films after he died wasn't he i mean they were still making these films after he died yeah. with stand-ins so th- those were the people who were, who were luring people back to the cinema can you remember your first trip to the cinema um I, it was probably to see a disney film in the late 70s i should think um yeah i can't remember which one i mean <laughs> it, it, it no, I can't remember. Though I do, funnily enough, I do actually remember going to the cinema, uh, my local Odeon, and I saw a trailer for a British sex film because British sex film, well, no, actually it was an American sex film. It was called The Other Cinderella. So it sounded like it was a, a Disney film, but it wasn't. It was a live action film, but it was called The Other Cinderella. But in those days, you, X-rated films often had you certificate trailers yeah. So they would sh- they would show a certain amount of what was in the film, but but not really the rude stuff. So I remember seeing that trailer and thinking, "What the hell is this?" It's you know? it's so funny you should say that because I saw the other Cinderella at the cinema, and this was going back. Oh, like you mentioned when you would pay so much and you'd go to the cinema and you'd yeah, watch. Yeah. This was when you'd watch two. There'd be one film on, and then there'd be the, like the main one. And I'm fairly certain. And a good friend of mine can correct me on this because I went to see it with him. I'm fairly certain the main film was Excalibur. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, so that would have been early '80s, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. It would have been. And then we, we got in there, and then you hadn't a clue what the first film was going to be. You never mm. knew what it was. And then the other Cinderella come on, and it was that. And we were, oh, cause, wow. Yeah, and we remember, because Excalibur was so good, we went to see it a couple of times. So of course, we saw the other <laughs> Cinderella a couple of times, too. Yeah, well, that, that would tie in, because I, I would have seen the trailer in the early 80s when I was, when I was a boy. So um, I, is there, like, a character in it, like Pinocchio, but... Instead of his nose growing, it's his cock or something like that. I seem to have, there was some some something. To, I think there was a lot of nursery characters in the other Cinderella, but yeah, you know, I've ne- I've never seen the film. I, I mean, mean, all I can no, remember no. of it is this one line, and we still quote it now. It's um, whenever anybody sort of goes down on a they the the line is it's a snapper, it's a snapper, and oh, it's, really? it's it's a line that's quoted all the way through this film is it's a snapper, and that's that's all I can remember of it and nothing else. I should see if I can find the uh, the trailer on YouTube and, and remind myself about it. But yeah, I do, I do remember that. So, But that was an American sex film. I'm pretty sure it was American. So or it might have been German dubbed into American or yeah. something. But um, my, my love has really always been British sex films. Um, but come play with me. We were talking about that. Um, come play with me was a massive, massive success. And it was uh, Mary Millington's first, it wasn't her first movie um, at the cinema, but it was certainly her, the biggest hit of her career. Uh, have you ever seen it, Dave? Have you ever seen Come Play With Me? I have, yeah. I've watched quite a few of them over the years, yeah. Yeah, well, it's 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 uh, it's a bit like a, a carry-on film, but with, with full frontal female and male nudity in it. And it's... It's about a load of nymphomaniac nurses who who work at a health farm in Scotland and um, seduce all the all the very unattractive men, <laughs> male, male clients. Um, and it's a bit of a romp, you know. I mean, it, it's good fun. I mean, it's not a classic, but um, in terms of its success, it, it was wildly successful. Um, it was filmed in 1976 and it was released. Um, uh, in April '77, and it ran in London solidly without a break for four years. Wow, that's a hell of a long time. Yeah, it is, uh, and it holds the Guinness World Record for the longest-running British film of all time. And th- this is this is maybe something people can use in a pub quiz because if you said to somebody, "What is the you know what film has run for the longest concurrent time in a British cinema?" You'd probably say, "I don't know, The Sound of Music" or star wars or et but it's not it's a it's a it's a british sex film called come play with me um and it i think if people watched it now they think it was rather quaint but in 1977 it was was deemed to be incredibly rude and it was filmed in a hardcore version as well though the hardcore footage was was never um seen publicly particularly in britain it had one uh, erroneous screening at a cinema in um in London, but the rest of the time it was it was screened in the softcore version. But it played virtually every cinema in the whole of the UK. It played the Odeons, the ABCs, so it was it was a mainstream sex film really. But it just made a ma- I mean, the one cinema in London, it made about half a million pounds just from one cinema alone, which not, in the late seventies was you know a vast amount of money, and people kept going back and back and. And it was still showing when Mary Millington died, because because sadly Mary Millington died at the age of 33 in 1979. But it was still showing in 1981 at uh, at the cinema in, in London, and we, and was still being reissued around the country as late as 1989. You know, this is incredible. You know, in in the era of sort of like Acid House, 
and um that you know i think of the music in man you know the manchester scene and stuff like that yeah god there there was you know society was so different then and yet this hoary old british sex film was still (laughs) was still playing the provincial cinemas in 1989 it seems incredible but um it's worth a look you know it's it's a bit of a a forgotten classic it is British cinema, and, and uh, I mean, what, what did you make of it? Can you remember what, what, what you I, thought of it? I can't remember a lot of it because I used to work in a video store in the 80s, so of course mm. I, I would watch everything and anything that was in there. Uh, and it's funny you should mention under the counter films because the, even then there was like the under the counter list of videos that people would come in and ask for too. But well, I was... were, were, they, were they asking for hardcore films? Were yes, they? Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, before the before the Video Recordings Act in the early eighties, um, VHS tapes, you know, were a bit of a fad in the late in the late seventies, early eighties, and um, they were uncertificated. So you could buy hardcore VHS films because there was a loophole in the law at the time. I mean, Margaret Thatcher closed that up with the help of Mary Whitehouse. But yeah, so if you worked in a in a video shop, that there, as you quite rightly say, that there would have been explicit material hidden away under the counter oh yeah there was this and it was called the list people would just come in and quietly ask for the list wow yeah, yeah i like things like that that's great <laughs> was this the norm then you said that there was some hardcore footage that was in come play with me was this the norm or the exception to the rule for the, a lot of these british sex comedies well I, I wouldn't say it was that it was the norm but it happened it didn't happen with all of them but it happened with an awful lot and I, i've written a book uh, pro- probably the, the the book I'm best known for is a book called Keeping the British End Up, which is um, a history of the the British sex film from um, I think about 1958 to 1983. Yeah, because it's got 25 years worth of filth in my book, <laughs> and um, and I think there's about 160. I've reviewed about 160 British sex films in it, ones that were released theatrically, and. Um, interviewed the people who made the films who starred in them and I reviewed the films but I also look at the whole the whole history of it and of course keeping the British end up is a line from a James Bond film it's it's, it's one of the I think it's the closing line in the spy who loved me isn't it when when Roger Moore is is having sex with um one of the Bond girls and I think Q is asking him what he's doing and he's, he's saying I'm just keeping the British end up because he's just about to shag her <laughs> but, I've, I've, I've always loved that expression, keeping the British end up. So I thought it'd be a great title for my for my book, and um, and and in in my investigation into British sex films, yeah, I'd say a good percentage of those films were shot in a hardcore pornographic version, as as well as being a, a softcore version. Uh, certainly, when they were playing at the Odeon or the ABC, it was strictly softcore. But as as I was saying earlier, the, the rest of Europe were busying themselves watching hardcore pornography since the late 60s so british films in a softcore version were of no interest to them whatsoever i mean why did they want to watch a softcore film when they can watch a hardcore swedish film or or a danish film or a german film they didn't want to watch british softcore so in order to make these films more marketable to uh, an overseas audience um extra scenes were shot with people really shagging and and doing all, all manner of things, which were then cut into the film when they were released in Europe. Ah, okay. Now, it's... I mean, I mean, so, I mean, some of the 
some of the directors I've interviewed claim not to have directed the hardcore footage. I don't believe all of them. I believe some of them. Some of them say that the film then was sent to the distributor and then somebody else came in and directed the hardcore and then that was spliced into it. I, I mean, I think that was probably true for some, but I, a lot of these directors um, directed the hardcore stuff as well, but they, they don't, even now, 40 years later, some of them don't admit to it. Yeah. Uh, and, and a couple of them quite well well known. In fact, there's one person I'm not going to mention on the radio because I'll get in trouble, but there's one British filmmaker who's very, very well known now um, who directed hardcore porn in the 70s. Um, and nobody knows, well, I know about this, he knows about it because he's told me <laughs> Um, I think people will be quite surprised, but you know, I think people are a little bit more relaxed nowadays. In the 1970s, you could be thrown in jail for making porn, so you had to be a bit more cloak and dagger about making making these porn films um, because people were they they were sent to jail for 18 months, two years, three years. Um, I, I you know I've gone through endless amounts of clippings at the British Library uh, in their archive, and, and you wouldn't believe that the that people were really sent to jail for, for, for filming other people shagging. I mean, it's just incredible. And I'm not talking about child pornography here. I'm talking about consenting over 18-year-olds, over 21-year-olds having sex, and and, uh, and it was illegal to, to, to get involved in that. So people were fearful of, uh, of the police back then. Um, and so these films w were shot um, in, in the most secretive of, of circumstances. It's crazy, isn't it, that Britain was so far behind everybody else. You know, you mentioned the other countries, you know, across the world and in Europe, where it was legal to do it, and yet it took Britain so long to legalise it. Yeah, and, and 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 we've got Margaret Thatcher to blame for that because porn was nearly legalised in 1979. Um, there was a guy called Bernard Williams who, who wrote a, a, an extensive report called, called uh, with the Williams Committee. Um, uh, he was asked to look into pornography and the effects of pornography in Britain and on British people. And his findings in 1979 were that the porn was fine. You know, let, let people watch it. If they're over 18, let people watch it. Uh, then Margaret Thatcher came into office, I think in, in May 1979, and she quashed the findings of the report. And that's why porn stayed illegal for the, for the next 20 years, pretty much. Um, it wasn't until... Um, the, the Tony Blair government uh, that, that porn you know, finally came out of the shadows and, and people were able to buy it and of course in the internet age nobody can stop you from looking at anything so uh, these laws were archaic and, and of course the BBFC now uh, certificate that that's the British Board of Film Classification the BBFC they, they now certificate hardcore pornography so um, it's, it's mainstream now I mean, teenagers are looking at it on their phones, aren't they? It's, it's a very different era to when you or, you or I were growing up. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you mentioned about, you know, you finding one of your brother's porn mags, and it was, I remember it was like hitting the jackpot on a fruit machine if you'd find, um, you used to find like a, a supermarket carrier bag with some porn mags in that somebody had like stashed under a hedge somewhere. Yeah, I, I remember, I remember being, at, being at secondary school, and there was a... There was a boy in my class whose parents, I think they were swingers. I mean, there was a lot of swinging. There's still a lot of swinging going on, I'm sure. But they were swingers or something. And they had loads of hardcore porn. And one day he he smuggled in a Colour Climax magazine. 
which is from which is from, from Scandinavia. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, was, it was really hardcore, you know, really hardcore stuff. Unlike most British porn, and I remember everybody took a turn with the magazine. Everybody had it one night in the club. <laughs> you know, we, we all swapped it one night, and then the next day we brought it in, and then somebody else would have it. I mean, I mean, it's terrible, really. It's disgusting when you think about it now. We were, we were all masturbating over this one <laughs> magazine, but um, uh, yeah, I, I remember that. But it, it was it was rare, really. You know, when in the eighties to see anything as explicit as that, um, it, it, it was quite un, unheard of really oh it was yeah it, it was totally unheard of and going, going back to these films and I'm quite I mean my memories of them I, like I said I, I remember like the posters for Complain With Me and it, mm. I'm talking about like the mid to late 70s now of course um, the Confessions films I mean they were huge I remember them um, yeah. but going let's take it back a bit to the 60s then what sort of British sex comedies were there in the 60s because I'm not aware of any of those really well, yeah, but British sex comedies, um, as you say, things like Come Play With Me or Confessions of a Window Cleaner or Adventures of a Taxi Driver. Mm. I mean, they, they, they ruled in the 70s and, and, and they were carry-on films but, but with, with more nudity. But in the 60s, it was a very different kettle of fish. In fact, even if you go back to the 1950s, um, filmmakers were trying to uh, find any way of putting nudity in a film. So initially, that they made nudist colony films. So these would be films set in naturist camps, uh, and, and these films would be called things like nature, uh, Naked as Nature Intended, or Nudes of the World. And and they didn't really have any plot particularly. It was just lots of uh, naked women uh, playing volleyball or or throwing beach balls at each other or trampolining or playing hockey and anything really to get the boobs jiggling you know <laughs> on film uh, and, and and they could and, and the filmmakers w would tell the, the british board of uh, film censors as it was then called that these films were educational they were they were portraying an alternative lifestyle and that alternative lifestyle was was naturism but really it wasn't it was to get it was to get predominantly men into the cinema to look at bare breasts yeah um so, but but a lot of the nudist camps that that were used. In fact, there's there's one very famous uh, nudist camp called Spielplatz, which means playground, uh, which is in St Albans in Hertfordshire, and it's still there now. And quite a few of these nudist films were shot there. But 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 the owner of the of the nudist uh, colony, uh, a chap called Charles McCaskey, he thought that the intentions of of the filmmakers were honourable. He didn't realise that they were just there to ogle at the naked women. So these films were really successful, and I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with the film um, Carry On Camping, but there's a, there's a sequence in Carry On Camping where Sidney James tries to get Joan Sims to go and see a, a, a dirty movie at a cinema, and they go and see a film called Nudist Paradise, uh, where there's a lot of, of women playing volleyball in the nude. And um, that film really does exist, uh, and that, that <laughs> film... That film really did get a release, and Sid James is, is watching a real film. It wasn't something they created for Carry On Camping. It was real. So, I mean, nudist film, people got bored of nudist films. So then filmmakers were trying to look at other ways of getting nudity in a film. So they started doing Mondo movies, which were feature-length cinema documentaries, which could feature um, different vignettes. They might show some African tribeswomen, you know, 
dancing naked or topless or, or they might show something about um, women wearing topless dresses there was a fad in the in the mid in the mid 60s for topless dresses i mean they never caught on i mean it, it was just something to film or, or or they might have done something about um showgirls in soho so they, they were looking for other opportunities to include titillation on screen um so so sex comedies as such didn't really exist in, until the late 60s when um cinema censorship was relaxed slightly um, people have got bored of going to see nudist films and people have got bored going to see these Mondo films. I mean, some of these Mondo films are absolutely fascinating. There's there's one called London in the Raw and Primitive London, which just kind of shows the, the, the so-called naked underbelly <laughs> of, of the capital. And you can you can buy all these films now as well, I mean, which, which is which is marvellous. When I first started writing about these films, they were very difficult to, to find. But now I think partly due to, to the success of my book, if I can say that. You know, I'm very proud of keeping the British end up. More and more of these, these films finally come to the surface and have been reissued. Um, so, yeah, people were getting bored of these kind of films. So the British sex comedy didn't really come in until the late 1960s, and the, there were films like um, I Like Birds, which is... A, <laughs> what a great title. Yeah, one of my favourite movie titles, which was released in 1967, uh, directed by a guy called Pete Walker. Pete Walker, more famous nowadays for the horror films that he made in the 70s, but Mm -hmm. in the 60s he was making sex films. And he made a film in 1968, which um, I've just been working on the DVD release on, which is coming out on DVD this summer. He made a film in 1968 called School for Sex. I mean... I mean, you couldn't. I mean, it, that title—it just hit all the marks. For, you know, for the, people, people used to talk about the dirty raincoat brigade. You know, men, uh, middle-aged men who were sexually frustrated, who would wear brown weight, uh, raincoats, and they would go to s- cinemas and, and masturbate underneath their raincoats. I mean, a, a film called School for Sex was made for those <laughs> yeah, people. Exactly. Yeah. I think Pete, Pete Walker's actually said to me, you know, I, when I when I thought of that title, I just knew that there would be queues of, of middle-aged men queuing around the block to, to see the film. <laughs> and it, it was hugely successful. I mean, uh, School for Sex was probably the first big, I call it a bonk buster. It was the first blockbuster <laughs> of the sex comedy era. And, and it ran in London for about a year. And it ran in, in New York for about two years. Wow. And if you, if, I'm not sure if you've ever seen that film called Shaft, that Richard Roundtree film. Oh yeah, of course I have. Yeah, uh, which is which is a great sort of black exploitation film, and that came out in '71, I think. And in the opening sequence of that film, he's walking through Times Square, I think it is, in New York, and he walks past a cinema showing the the New York premiere of School for Sex. Um, <laughs> So Pete Walker's, uh, you know, he was with Pete the other week, and he's very, he's very proud of the fact that uh, that his film gets a name check in Shaft. Um, so yeah, that, I say School for Sex was probably the first big, big hit. But once again, you watch it now; it's very tame. I mean, it's, it's nothing to do with Schoolgirls whatsoever. Um, it, all, all the women in it are, are well over twenty-one, uh, so there's nothing dodgy about it now. But the title sold the film. Oh, well, I mean. Yeah. It's, it's not one of my favourites, but um, it made an awful lot of money, so you you can't uh, can't take that away from it. <laughs> what are your favourites then? If you were to list a few favourites, some recommendations then for listeners. Here you go. Right. If, they, if they haven't well, dipped into this genre yet, what would you say for them to go into first? 
Um, well, I mean, there, there are some, there's some curious films. And, and, and um, the last edition of Keeping the British End Up, I think I list my, my top 10 favourite British sex films. I, I have to think about it. But um, I'd say Confessions of a, of a Window Cleaner is a film that you'd have to go and see um, or get on, on DVD. And it's about a randy window cleaner who just shags a lot of women on his... On his on I've his... got to ask, is this... Now, is this the one I've got? My most vivid mental image of this time and films of, of this genre is... It's from the Confessions film, and I'm fairly sure it's the window cleaner one, where he's in a kitchen mm. and the washing machine... So the washing machine's yeah, yeah, broken yeah. and there's all... The kitchen fills with suds. That's right, yeah. Is yeah, it I mean, that that, that's the iconic scene. I'll, I'll explain to your, your listeners what, what happens. I mean, Robin Asquith plays the the lead role in that film and Robin um, Robin Robin's a very versatile actor and he, he worked with Zeffirelli and Pasolini and he's worked with all, all manner of directors but he became most famous in the 1970s for dropping his trousers and I mean he, he's a very talented comedian you know comic actor should I say but um, he's best known in Britain for his bum <laughs> which is a shame really because he's really good and I, I was i was filming actually with robin a couple of weeks ago and he, he's he's a charming guy and very very funny and he's got loads of great stories but in the 1970s um he on film at least i think off screen he was quite prolific as well stories he's told me but on screen he, he shags an awful lot of women and there's a, a scene in confessions of the window cleaner where he goes round to see a uh, sexually frustrated housewife. I mean, they, all the women in these films were sexually frustrated housewives, of course, <laughs> and that was the cliche. And he go he goes round, and, and there, there's some soap suds get mixed with water, and everything goes wrong. So, so the, the 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 housewife's kitchen just gets full with soap suds, and him and her have sex in the soap says, and, and that's the scene you remember. Yeah. And it's, it's probably probably one of the most iconic scenes of British cinema in the 70s, not just sex cinema, but of British cinema as a whole. That's the scene people tend to remember. So Confession of a Window Cleaner is one to see. Um, probably Adventures of a Taxi Driver is, is, is another classic. Come Play With Me, certainly. And, and another film, um, which I was... I was talking to your partner about, which is Eskimo Now, which has just recently uh, come out on Blu-ray. And um, Eskimo Now is special because it's a sex film about sex films. It's about the 1970s sex film industry. And it was written by a friend of mine called Michael Armstrong, who's a very witty writer. And it's about uh, a couple of rather green around the gills young filmmakers who who make a porn film in order to satisfy a uh, rather demonstrative producer but it's a very very funny film it's got some great actors in it. it's got roy kinnear in it and uh, anna quayle and katie manning who of course was in doctor who for many years playing joe grant she's in it and christopher biggins is in it so there were some big names in these films i think people forget that you think about british sex films you think oh they were cheap and nasty but they weren't i mean some were don't get me wrong a few were and that makes them quite interesting as well but the majority of them featured very mainstream people like harry h corbett and Dinah Dawes and irene handler and uh people like that and, and people have said to me why did they do these films well it's quite simply because the british film industry wasn't 
doing very well and, and actors wanted to work at the end of the day all actors have got very fragile egos and they like to be working and they like to be earning money and if that meant appearing in a sex film they would do it um and also it was good for their cv i mean i'm not sure if you remember till death has do part which was a um yes yes a, a sitcom about alf garnett and alf garnett's wife was played by dandy nichols dandy nichols was a very talented uh, character actress very prolific and she appears in confessions of a window cleaner as does uh john le Mazurier from dad's army and um they appeared in these films quite happily and the films were hugely successful so it's good to have a successful film on your cv certainly um uh confessions of a window cleaner was the biggest box office british film of 1974 it wiped the floor it cleaned up, pardon the pun, but it really cleaned up at the box office. I mean, no other film in Britain made as much money as uh, Confessions of a Window Cleaner in 1974. So if you were an actor, you wanted to be associated with a successful film. And, and uh, so that's why they did it. Of course, yeah, because there was this period, wasn't there, during you know, the mid-70s when these types of films, they were just like box office gold every time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd say probably all of them made money. I mean, um, there, there were a couple of flops um but that was generally uh, uh they made they made an awful lot of money and of course they could make a lot more money in in europe as well in their hardcore versions as well um like i said come play with me ran for for four years in london and confessions of a window cleaner you know played virtually every country in the world you know you know every territory in you know even south africa and australia canada america europe they, they all wanted to see these films so it was a, and you can make them very cheaply. I mean, Come Play With Me was made for about £120,000 and worldwide probably made £5 million. I mean, you'd never get a return uh, on a movie like that mm-hmm. nowadays on, on a low-budget film. But back then, back then you could do it. So, yeah, they, they were making an awful lot of money. So that's why, that's why filmmakers were making them. We haven't touched on either as well about how how you started watching them. We've gone, you've walked past the cinema and you've seen oh, the poster yeah. now. What's the story of when you first started watching them? I'm presuming it was on VHS then. Yeah, it was. You remember back in the eighties uh, when I was obviously a bit older, and, and VHS VHS tapes were in big chunky boxes. Yeah, you know? so yeah. They, I mean, they were enormous, and they're very collectible now. I mean, if you look on eBay now, there's there's a whole industry of buying and selling vhs tapes um and some of them go for three or four hundred pounds each just because 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 of the lurid artwork on them um so i think i i don't know how old i was i would have been i would have been a teenager by the time i first saw a sex film i can't remember which one well it would probably was a confessions film actually it was a confessions film and uh and having seen the cinema posters for them when I was a child in the 70s, when I was old enough in the 80s to actually see the film, you know, I, I, re, you know, I was intrigued um, and, and slightly addicted, to be honest, Dave, watching these films. I wanted to see as many as I possibly could. And I remember going to video shops and, you know, my friends wanted to, to rent Robocop or Total Recall, you know, on a big chunky VHS, but I wanted to rent come play with me on VHS. And of course, my friends thought I was nuts, but those are the films I wanted to see. And then I went to university in Bristol and, um, and I wrote my dissertation on British sex films. 
Um, so I had to watch an awful lot then. I, I, it's, it's just accumulated. And then, and then, and then in 1999, I wrote my first book on British sex films. And I, I think I've now written three books on, on British sex films. And there's a fourth one I, I, I'm planning on writing as well. So um, that's probably how it started. But I do watch other films as well. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I, I don't just watch British sex films. And, um, you know, I've got quite varied film tastes. You know, I love John Waters' films. He's probably my favourite American director. And, uh, you know, I love the, the films of, of Jan Svankmeyer and, um, I don't know, Sidney Lumet, people like that. They're, they're, they're my sort of favourite. In fact, my favourite American film of all time is Network. Um, Great which film, I yeah. Think, yeah, which has just recently come out on Blu-ray. That, that's one of my, my favourite films. And uh, so it's not I, I'm not only addicted to British sex films. I do sometimes give myself a break from them and, <laughs> and watch other stuff as well. Otherwise, you know, it just turns your your brain to, to porridge. It's good. Though, it's good, like you said, because the availability of them now, you can get hold of them a lot easier. Uh, and as well as the books, I mean, you mentioned Eskimo Nell as well, but you're also on on the commentary track as well about it. Yeah, I am. Yeah, that that was great fun, and um, I can talk a lot, as you can as you can hear. <laughs> I, I I talk a lot about stuff. So yeah, to do the commentary track was was great, and I did that with Michael Armstrong, who who's the writer of the film, and we were shattered after an hour and a half. We were really very very tired. <laughs> I mean, watching the film for like the hundredth time and talking about it, we were we were really exhausted. But yeah, I, do, I love doing audio commentaries and I, and I love working on DVD releases. And I think I've done about I've done nearly forty DVDs now. I was looking looking back at it recently and and I, you know I, i've forgotten how many dvd releases i've worked on but i'm very lucky they keep asking me to do them so um so i'm very happy to do it it's very i don't in fact i don't always do british sex films but but generally generally speaking they are if they want something to do with <laughs> 1976 they contact simon sheridan so that that's fine i'm very happy to do it very happy to do oh it. yeah i mean it must be so good though to you know to be so involved in something that you've got such an obvious passion for yeah well I, I i think i know my stuff like i was saying at the beginning of the of our chat so i mean i, I would be no good talking about um you know russian cinema from the 1920s or something like that i just i'd be hopeless i i mean you've got to write about stuff that you're interested in and i've always been interested in british films particularly british sex films and that that's my niche as i was saying so uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to carry on you know being interviewed about it and writing about it and working on dvds to, to do with that I, I i'd flounder probably if i was asked to look at french new wave films <laughs> from from the 650s or 60s I, I wouldn't have a clue to be honest yeah would you would you say then that because we talked about how big these were in the 70s was was the advent of vhs into the home the the tipping point that it signaled their yeah. decline yeah you're you're absolutely right i mean i mean the, the, the last big blockbusters of the 70s were films like um the Playbirds, which which is Mary Millington's best film. In fact, I, I would say if any of your listeners were going to watch one British sex film, they should watch The Playbirds, which was made in 1978, and Mary Millington is rather ironically cast as a policewoman. It's kind of like a porn version of the Sweeney. That's how I would describe it. But it, it is it's good fun. I mean, it's an exploitation film, so there's no airs or graces 
to the to the plot yeah. or the performances, but it's good fun. And that that was a big hit. And then um, the same year came Joan Collins in The Stud. I'm sure you've heard of that film. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, she she did a film called The Stud, and then she did a film called The Bitch. And they were probably the last really big blockbusters of the sex film era. But by about 1979, 1980, more and more people had VHS players, VHS recorders, or Betamax. Remember Betamax? Oh, I do, yeah. Yeah. And also they had um, access to video libraries. I remember, you know, when I was growing up, there was, there was just one video library where I lived. But, you know, it was stacked full of, of really obscure titles. They had John Waters films there, and they had porn films there, and they had things you, you'd never seen on TV. And, and I think people, if they wanted, as you were saying, working in a, in, a, uh, in a VHS shop, people were coming in asking for porn. They were asking for stuff under the counter. What was the point of going to your local Odeon to watch a softcore sex film when you could rent a VHS tape that had hardcore porn in it and you could go home? And at the end of the day, these you know, making no bones about it. These films were about masturbation and who, you know, who in their right mind would really want to masturbate in a cinema when you can masturbate at home <laughs> yeah. in your lounge yeah. with, with, with the curtains drawn watching a VHS tape. So, so the VHS era was the death knell of British sex films. So by 1983, no more British sex films were being made for theatrical release. That, that was it. That, that, they, they, they were finished. Um, so it's quite sad really um, but it, all good things have to come to an end we had 25 years worth of sex at the cinema um, and of course we, we still do have sex at the cinema I mean look how wildly successful Fifty Shades of Grey has been I mean it's, it's the most profitable 18 certificate film ever released theatrically in America um, so there still is an appetite um, for sex at the cinema but people if they want to watch hardcore porn, they just look at their internet. They, they just look at their, their laptop and go on the internet now. So you, you don't need to be turned on going to the cinema. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Fifty Shades of Grey was probably very aggressively marketed at women, and I think that was probably also why it was very successful. I've not seen it. I, I don't particularly want to see it, but um, I'm glad it's been successful because it shows that there still is there is a market for sex on the big screen somehow. Oh, yeah. yeah. And are there any films um, from the 60s and 70s, this sort of classic era, that have not been released on DVD or Blu-ray yet that you would like to see released? Oh, there probably is. Um, yeah, there, there, yeah, there is a couple, but I'm not going to say because I'm, work <laughs> I'm, ah. I'm, I'm working on the releases of, of a few films this year. One I'm particularly excited about, which, is, which hasn't been seen for about... 30, let me think, probably about 35 years okay. that I'm working on. So I'm quite excited about this. There's one or two, but I think the main, mainly they've been, they've, they've come out. There's one or two lost ones that, that you know, nobody knows what's happened to them, but yeah. uh, they've disappeared forever. But I think the, the majority of the, the ones worthwhile for digging out, they're, they're available. But yeah, there's one I'm working on at the moment, but I'm not going to say what it is just yet. You'll have to come back on and update everybody then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah, you'll yeah. have to. <laughs> so, what, what's the what's the rest of this year hold for you then, Simon? Without giving too much away, what can you tell the listeners of what you have got planned? Yeah, well, I'm working on a uh, on another book at the moment, which is quite exciting. Plus, I'm working on a load of uh, DVD releases. 
Um, I'm working with a, um, a production company in London on a couple of documentary ideas as well, which I'm hoping are going to come to fruition. Uh, and I'm just about to start filming something with Channel 5 uh, next month as well. So I'm, I'm pretty busy at the moment, which is good. It's good, it's good to have lots of projects bubbling uh, at the moment. So, um, yeah, I feel quite content. Uh, I certainly love writing about films and, and working in, you know, TV and film. That, that that's very exciting for me. I think I should also also mention as well to listeners because, j- just to finish this off, just to put a, a little bit everything into context and round it all yeah. off, um, because it, it's amazing. Because I, I've got to read some of the books here. That I was looking through everything that you've written, and then you go from you know keeping the oh, British, yeah. keeping the British end up to the A to Z of classic children's television. Yeah, well, I, yeah, well, as I say, it's good to have a niche in life, and 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 I learn a lot about British sex films, but it's it's also good to diversify sometimes. So I've written I've written half a dozen books. So I've written books on other things as well. I've, I've written a book on Kylie Minogue, which is kind of slightly odd. And I've written a book on ABBA, um, which was torture to write. Was it really? And, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, and. Um, not because I don't like ABBA. I do like ABBA, but I can't listen to ABBA now because I, I, for a whole year I just listened to ABBA and wrote about ABBA. And uh, so, I, you know, it's kind of ruined it for me. And then I also wrote this book about kids TV, which was great fun to write because it was right about writing about my childhood uh, and the sort of programmes that I watched when I was a kid. Um, things like The Clangers and... Oh, look at uh, that. Because all these shows are coming back, which is very interesting. Cl- yeah. I mean, I watched, I watched the trailer for the new Clangers the day before yesterday the clangers is coming back and um banana man's coming back danger mouse is coming back uh thunderbirds is back on tv next saturday uh um so the week tomorrow yeah it's back it's back so uh, a lot of these shows um ha- have a long history but also i think they're going to have a great future as well because parents um remember the sort of things that they watched when they were a kid and i think they'd like their children to watch it as well so so i have written about kids tv as well which i've i've absolutely loved but somehow you don't mix the genres you don't mix um kids tv from the 70s with british porn of course yeah especially nowadays there are some links it's interesting a a good friend of mine an actress called gay soper who's a west end stage actress um, she was the female lead in a sex film in 1975 called The Ups and Downs of a Handyman, which was a bit of a uh, uh, a Confessions of a Window Cleaner uh, knockoff. Yeah. But Gay was also the voiceover of The Flumps, wow. uh, which was a kids' TV show for the BBC. So she was making a softcore porn film on one hand. On the other hand, she was also lending her voice to a kids tv show in 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 um and uh you know half past three in the afternoon so there are some there are a few more links as well but i won't bore you with it but yeah so that there are some there is some lineage yeah. between british sex films and british kids tv as well that's amazing and i think everybody always thinks that the the kids programs they watched when they were a child were always the best because i the ones I remember are like bizarre ones, like Pipkins was quite bizarre, but I used to love it. Hartley Hare used to like frighten the hell out of me. Yeah, no, I, I've interviewed Hartley Hare. Have and, you now? Oh, yeah, right. I have, yeah. Because for my kids' TV book, I interviewed a lot of the, the performers um, of the shows. And interestingly, I, I interviewed quite a lot of the performers while they were in character. So, so I've interviewed the Flumps. I've in, I've interviewed Crystal Tips and Alistair. I've interviewed Eyeball the Engine, 
and I've interviewed Hartley Hare, and Hartley Hare was one of my heroes when I was a boy. I loved him because he was he was an anti-hero, really. He was, he was definitely. Um, I mean, he, he looked pretty um, careworn, shall I say, and he had these big buck teeth, and he was he was a bit hysterical. I mean, you wouldn't get a kids' TV character like him nowadays. <laughs> I mean, he, he was very over the top, and I um, and I interviewed his creator, Nigel Plaskett, who's a very, very talented uh, actor and puppeteer. He works with the Muppets now. And, uh, yeah, so I, I interviewed him in character for a while. So that was fun, yeah. So, so on the one hand, I've interviewed a lot of my heroes from when I was a child, um, kids' TV personalities, and I've also interviewed a lot of my hero, heroes from the sex film era as well. So I've been very blessed, I think, most of the people I've wanted to interview, I've ended up interviewing. So, in fact, today it's quite unusual to be interviewed myself. It's, it's, it's to be exhausting. on the other side. <laughs> um, you know, but but uh, I'm I'm normally the one asking the questions. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's nice to meet your heroes. Always always oh, good yeah. thing to do. That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Well, what you're going to have to do, Sam, you're going to have to keep us updated with everything you do this year. And you've you've piqued my interest now about the, the documentary and everything you're working on. So please, as soon as you can get news out there about anything uh, that you're working on, we'll put it on the website. We'll put it on Facebook and Twitter. And so everybody that listens to this can can follow, carry on following what you're doing as well, because I'm sure, much like myself, you know, they'd be really interested in keeping up, up to date with what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if anyone's interested, they, they can have a look at my um my website, which is simonsheridan.com, which which has got a list of all, I think it's got a list of all, yeah, it has, of, of all the DVDs I've worked on. And, and if you're interested in, in, in Mary Millington and, and her, her life, um, I run a website called marymillington.co.uk as well, which has got lots of interesting bits and pieces on um, if, if you want to find out more. What about are you on Twitter as well? Can follow you on Twitter, can they? Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've just recently joined <laughs> Twitter. Um, it's a new thing for me. Um, people have been saying to me for years, oh, you need to get on Twitter. So I, I, I have just recently joined. I'm, I'm not saying that I particularly enjoy it yet, but I'm sure I'll get the hang of it eventually. I'm, I'm a bit of a Twitter virgin at the <laughs> moment. But uh, um, I, once I get in the swing of it, yeah, yeah, you can follow me on there if you like. Yeah, and that's it. It's at Simon Sheridan. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's um, at S-J-A Sheridan. J-A Sheridan. Yeah. And of course, the... the um, podcast notes on the website that will have all the links and everything of the, the way the listener you the listener can follow everything that Simon's doing as well as you know, you've said Simon keep us updated and we'll put everything up on there too yeah I will do of course I will it's been a real pleasure to speak to you Dave thank you so much for having me on the show no problem it's been great to talk to you as well Simon I'm looking forward as well to uh, everything that you're going to do for the rest of the year and the years onwards yeah well, well maybe I'll come back and we'll, we'll chat more 70s porn at some some stage in the future definitely yeah it's a date And there we are, once again, the end of another show. Uh, a big thank you to Simon for joining me. I had a great time recording with him, as I'm sure you did listening to him. Uh, all the links of how you can find Simon online and buy the books that he's written, the DVDs that he's worked on, including the Keeping the British End Up book that we talked about, will be in the podcast notes on the website. And you can find the website by going to 60minuteswith.co.uk. There is a contact form on there should you wish to contact us. Or you can also email us direct, which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash 60minuteswith. And on Twitter, we are at 60minuteswith. 
So all that remains is to say, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you so much for listening. Please keep those uh, subscriptions active as there's a lot more shows coming to you in the very near future.